Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. As we've done over the last number of years to take just a little bit of inventory of where we are as a church, uh, what it looks like for us moving forward. I have affectionately called it the State of the Church Address, much like something that the president would give for our nation on a yearly basis just to say, here's where we are, here's where we're going, here's what we're trying to accomplish. And so I thought it would only be fitting this morning uh, to title the message Beyond 2020. You know, one of the things that the Lord has impressed on me over the last several years as we've been looking forward to moving forward on this construction project, as we've been looking forward to having our permanent facility right down the road, as we've been spending time and effort and energy and funds and all of those things looking forward to that day, I started to ask myself the question, what after that? Because if we're not careful as a church family, that ultimately will be our goal. And then once we are there, what do we do? And for us this morning, I want to redirect our attention, I hope, to help us be reminded of the true reason that we are here. The true reason that we are here is not to build a building. It's to reach people for Jesus. That's the reason that North River Church exists. That's the reason that we are placed in this community. That's the reason as we celebrated some last week, just looking back on the past of what God has done in the life of our church. And yet the question is, what will it look like moving forward? Beyond 2020, beyond moving into a permanent facility, beyond the excitement of that, what does it look like? And this morning for us, I believe the Apostle Paul and his letter to the church in Ephesus gives us a glimpse, I hope a great reminder in his prayer for this group of people that for me is turned into a prayer for us as a church family. So I want to read for us this morning, beginning in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at what God's Word says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give my thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He has put all things under His feet, and gave Him as the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Father, we ask this morning that You would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that You would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to Your Word and to Your Spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Paul's letter to this church is a beautiful letter. And he opens it at the beginning of the letter by offering a reminder for this group of believers of all that God had done in and through them. In fact, Paul says about them that word has spread all around about what God has done. In fact, they were living in a city that was truly an idol factory. That's exactly where Ephesus was. They were producing idols that were spread throughout the Roman world. And amazingly, as Paul journeys there and preaches the gospel, there are so many people that come to faith in Jesus Christ that the idol-making business dies. And the Better Business Bureau for Idol Makers shows up at Paul's doorstep and tries to kill him. And Paul is remembering all that God has done in the life of these believers. He's celebrating that at the first part of chapter 1. He's reminding them of all that Christ has done for them. And then he comes to this section, verse 15 through verse 23, and offers a prayer of thanksgiving on behalf of this group of believers. In fact, for me, this is one of the most beautiful prayers that I think the Scripture contains. It's a pastoral prayer. It's a prayer that Paul offers on behalf of this group of people that he dearly loves, this group of people that he has seen come to faith in Christ, that he has seen lay their lives down for the sake of the gospel, that he has seen make such an impact in their community and beyond for the name of Jesus Christ. And he offers this prayer. And I I want for us this morning, as we look at this prayer, to just pause for a second. And ask the question, what what if this is a prayer that we began to pray on behalf of this church family? As Paul is praying it on behalf of the believers in Ephesus. It's a prayer for me personally that I have been praying on behalf of our church family here. So let's look, beginning in verse 15. 
Paul says, for this reason. What reason is he addressing? What's the reason that he gave ultimately in the first part there of the chapter? This reason that he's offering this prayer is because these are fellow believers with him. These are people that have been rescued out of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. These are people who used to be dead in their sins and in their trespasses, but they've been made alive in Christ Jesus. These are believers now who have inherited the great riches that Christ has made possible for them. And so Paul says, for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Notice what he prays for, beginning in verse 17, for these believers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, so that the eyes of your hearts are enlightened. As we think about what Paul prays for, I think about the things that Paul doesn't pray for. Paul does not pray for this group of believers not to experience persecution. Paul doesn't pray for this group of believers that they would have good health. He doesn't pray for this group of believers that they would excel in their jobs. He doesn't pray for this group of believers that they would have great kids He doesn't pray for this group of believers anything other than that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. He says it in this way, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. The greatest thing that any of us as believers can have is a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is praying for for this group of believers. Paul is looking. Now, it's not like they were struggling. It's not like they weren't doing the things that they should have been doing. It's not like they weren't making an impact in their community for the cause of Christ. None of those things We're going on. But Paul doesn't step back and say, listen, you have achieved the standard that you set out to achieve. Like you've arrived as a believer. No, what Paul says is, no, I want you to continue growing in your knowledge and understanding of the Lord. Now, if we're not careful as believers, we will grow to the point in our Christian lives at times where we do think we've arrived. Where we do think, I mean, what else is there to experience? What else is there for me to do in the Christian life? I mean, I've done it all. 
And yet for this group of believers who are making such an impact, Paul doesn't step back and say, listen guys, you've made it. You're there. He says, no, I am praying for you that the Lord would continually open your eyes so that you see Him for who He is and it stirs you from within and you continue to pursue Him with every ounce of your being. That is what I'm praying for you. Church family, that is what I'm praying for us. I don't ever want us to get to the point where we think we've arrived as believers. Like to where we think we have it all figured out. To where we look and we say, you know, I I really don't need to read my Bible. I mean, I know it. I mean, I heard the stories as a kid. I mean, mean, I've been to church so many times. I've heard so many sermons. I mean, I've kind of arrived in the Christian life. No, we've not. We've never arrived in the Christian life. Because to arrive in the Christian life is to attain perfection. And I don't know about you, but you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. Until we meet Jesus Christ face to face, we are not there yet. And that's what Paul wants them to understand. That's what Paul wants them to grasp. That they need to continue to pursue Jesus with every ounce of their being. And he asked, Lord, I want you to give them the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, understanding in the knowledge of yourself. Notice the words that he uses in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What a beautiful play of words there. That for us as believers, as we are growing in our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we are growing deep in our relationship with Jesus, that our hearts would continually be open and willing to receive all of who Christ is, so that in us, it moves us, it creates within us passion and desire and purpose in our lives. You see, I'm convinced this morning that the greatest hindrance for us as believers in our walk with Jesus Christ is not seeing Him for who He is. Because I'm telling you this morning, when you see the Lord for who He is, when the eyes of your hearts are enlightened, when you take in the glory of who Jesus Christ is, it will transform your life every single day. Paul, for this group of believers, is praying that for them. Church, that is a prayer that I am praying for us. I don't ever want us to become stagnant. I don't ever want us to just sit back and say, we have arrived. I don't ever want us to be tempted when the construction project is finished right down the road in the end of October 2020, which means the end of 2020, right? You with me on that? It's just preparation, church, preparation. 
I don't want us to arrive at the end where we have completed a facility and to sit back and say, oh, we've arrived. We've made it. We're where God wants us to be. What I want us to do is to sit back and say, man, I am closer to the Lord this year than I was last year, but I'm not content with that. I want to grow even more in my relationship with the Lord this coming year. For Paul, with this group of believers, that's what he desires for them. That's the work that he wants to see God bring about in their life. And so, let me just encourage you this morning. If you're here, and you're a follower of Jesus, you've not arrived. God has so much more in store for your life. He wants to take you so much deeper than where you are in your walk with Him right now. And for you this morning, this prayer that Paul prays for the group of believers in Ephesus may be a prayer that you need to pray for yourself looking over the course of this next year. God, would you create within me such a hunger, such a desire to grow in my relationship with you, so that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened, so that my heart's eyes would be open to see you for who you are, so that I'm not content with where I am today, but I am desiring to grow in my relationship with you. God, would you grow me in knowledge and in understanding of who you are? Paul's prayer for this group of believers is that that would take place. But I want you to know how he follows that up. He gives three reasons why. Why does he want this group of believers to continue to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? I want you to notice beginning in Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul's going to give us the first here. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. My prayer is that God would give us wisdom and understanding to know him more deeply, and as a result, to know, first of all, the hope to which He has called us. That's an interesting way for Paul to begin the conversation with this group of believers. I'm praying that you will grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened so that you would know the hope to which he has called you. Well, let's just step back for a second and ask a very simple question. What is that hope that he's referring to? Well, it's the hope of the gospel. What he's praying for this group of believers as they are growing in their understanding, as they are deepening their relationship with the Lord, as they are continuing to pursue him, he's saying, I am praying that you would know the great hope that you've been called to. 
Paul's essentially saying here, I don't want you to get over the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, if we're not careful, sometimes we will meet Jesus, we will trust Him as our Savior, and we will think that we've checked that box, and now there's so much more for us to grow and to understand and to know. But I want to remind us this morning, as Paul tells this group of believers, that every aspect of the Christian life is grounded in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much more you know about Jesus. We never graduate from the gospel of hope. You see, for us this morning, what we need to be reminded of and what Paul wanted this group of believers to be reminded of is the great hope of the gospel at work in our lives. See, in chapter 2, Paul would open the floodgates and remind them of exactly what they used to be before they met Jesus. And it's not a pretty picture. He says, listen, You were following the course of this world. You were obedient to sin in your life. You were chasing after the pleasures that this world had to offer. In fact, he would go on to say, listen, you were on Satan's team. You were palling around with him. That's what your life was like. You were absolutely dead in your trespasses and sin. But God. Church family, may we never lose sight of the reality of what Christ has done in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that was your description before you met Jesus. You say, Michael, I didn't think it was that bad. It was worse than you thought. Before you met Jesus Christ, you were dead in sin. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the sons of disobedience, that was who you were. And yet, the great hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you didn't have to stay there. But by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you have been transferred from being dead in your sins to being made alive in Christ. You see, for us this morning, that, for the believer, is the greatest hope in all the world. And notice that that is where Paul begins, that he is praying for this group of believers that they would continue to grow in their relationship with the Lord, that their minds would be open, their hearts would be open, that they would be pursuing Christ with every ounce of their being, and as a result, they would continually know the great hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel that saved them. Church, that gospel that saved us. Where we thought there was no hope, in Christ there is hope. 
As we are entering this season of Christmas, that's what we're reminded of. The baby in the manger is our Savior. The baby in the manger is the reason that we could be lost and dead in our sins, but made alive together in Christ. That for us is the great hope. We cherish the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we grow in our understanding and our knowledge of who the Lord is, it leads us constantly back to that hope. And Paul, for this group of believers, is reminding them of the hope that they have in Christ. You may be here this morning and you say, Michael, I'm not sure I have that hope. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never taken that step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Can I encourage you this morning? The hope that you are longing for can only be found in Jesus. What you so desperately desire deep down within can only be satisfied with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only does Paul want them to know the hope that they've been called to. I want you to notice he continues there. Second part of verse 18. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? So Paul is praying that they would know the hope to which He has called us, but also the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. You see, the great hope of the message of the gospel is that we can be taken from dead in our sins to made alive together in Christ, but it doesn't just stop there. For us as believers, we have been given the greatest inheritance that could ever be received. That is the ultimate promise of life eternally with our Savior. That's the ultimate promise of an abundant life here on this earth. A relationship with Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that we could ever possess. It's greater than any treasure we could ever find. As we look at it this morning, what we're reminded of is the description of heaven that we encounter at the end of the book of Revelation. I have mentioned this to you before, but I want to remind you once again. And maybe growing up, you were thinking about this. Remember that heaven's streets are described as made of what? Gold. That the gates surrounding the city of Jerusalem are made of precious stones and pearls. And I think that's just a reminder for us of this great reality. The things that we find most precious, gold and silver and precious stones and jewels, the things that we would spend a lot of money to obtain, are the building materials of heaven. Because the great inheritance that we obtain as believers in Jesus Christ is Jesus Himself. 
So as we look, we're reminded this morning that for us, we have an inheritance. We have great riches, not only in this life, but for all eternity. And so Paul is reminding this group of believers, and he's asking the Lord as they are growing in their relationship with him, that they would know the great hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that they would know the inheritance that they have because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a great reminder for us as well. Because all too often the things that we chase in this life are not the things that matter in the next one. The things that we spend all of our time and effort and attention on ultimately for many of us are not the things that will last. So for us this morning, my prayer for us as a church family is that we would be reminded of the hope of the gospel that has saved us, but we would also be reminded of the great inheritance that we have. I want you to notice as Paul continues, he's asked that they would know the hope that they've been called to, that they would know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And then thirdly, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? Paul's prayer for this group of believers is that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ to know the hope that they have in the gospel, to know the inheritance that they have as a result of being an adopted son or daughter of God. But then, notice this, that they would know the greatness of His, that's the Lord's power toward us who believe. Notice he continues on. What kind of power, Michael, are we talking about? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In this same power, he put all things under his feet, that's Christ, and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As we look, we are reminded of the great mission that God has called us to. Remember, as Jesus left this earth, He gave us a mission to accomplish as His believers, as His people on this earth. He said for us that we are to make disciples of all nations, baptize and teach them all that He's commanded, and that He is with us to the ends of the age. How do we do that? How do we accomplish that? 
We can't accomplish it in our own strength and our own power, which is why Paul wanted these believers to know that the power to accomplish the mission of God that he has given to his church, the power is supplied not by us. It's not by our programs. It's not by a building. It's not by our wisdom. The power to accomplish the mission that God has given us is supplied by Him. The great power to do what God has called us to do is His power at work in and through us. What kind of power are we talking about? The kind of power that rose Jesus from the grave. That is the power that is at work in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the power that is at work in our lives as believers. Paul wants these believers in Ephesus to know this mission that God has given them to reach and to impact their community is not something that they can do in their own strength and in their own power and in their own craftiness. No, it is a mission that can only be accomplished by His power at work in them and through them. You see, if we're not careful, church, we may be tempted to think that we can accomplish the mission that God has given us to accomplish if we just get a building, if we just have the right program, if we just have the right activity, If we just have the right people in place. But I'm here to tell you this morning, as Paul reminded this group of believers, the great hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ being spread in this community through this church will only happen as God's power is at work in and through us. Buildings are great. Programs are great. But let's just be honest, all of those things can be manufactured. The one thing that cannot be manufactured is the power of God at work. And so as Paul prayed for this group of believers here that they would experience that, my prayer for us as a church family is we would experience that. That the power of the Lord Jesus Christ would be at work in our lives to a degree. Would be at work in this church to such a degree that we look back years from now and we say things like, there is no way we could accomplish that on our own. Because let's just be honest, if we can accomplish it on our own, we don't need God. If we can accomplish it in our own strength, why do we need Him? But I can assure you this morning that what we can accomplish in our own strength will pale in comparison to what can be accomplished when God's power is at work in and through us. I don't know about you, church. I'm not content for us to accomplish what we can accomplish. Church, I want 
what only can be accomplished through the power of God at work. And so I want to ask you this morning that you would join me in this prayer for our church family. That as we look at 2020 and beyond, that we would not be content with where we are today. That we would not be content with where we may be a year from now. But that we would constantly look and be reminded that God has called us to a mission in this community. The mission of proclaiming the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A mission that can only be accomplished by His power at work in and through us. Let's pray this morning. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. Father, I believe we as a church family are at a watershed moment in the life of our church. There are a number of exciting things going on, and I'm convinced there are a number of exciting things that are going to come in 2020. But Father, would you remind us this morning that we desperately need you. Would you remind us as believers gathered here this morning, those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that where we are today in our walk with you is not the end. We've not arrived. Remind us this morning that our heart's cry should be that we are growing in our relationship with you, that we are deepening our relationship with you, that day in and day out, we are seeking your face, we're seeking your wisdom and understanding. Father, that we are seeking to know you more deeply. And that as a result of knowing you more deeply, of seeing you truly for who you are, that we're reminded of the great hope of the gospel. Father, for some of us here this morning, that hope is just a distant memory. Father, would you reignite once again the fire that was present when we first trusted in Jesus as our Savior. Would you take us even now back to that place to remind us of what it was like to be a taken from dead in our sins to being made alive in Christ. Remind us of that hope. Anchor our lives to that hope. Father, remind us this morning of the inheritance that we have, the greatest gift that we could ever be given is to be a child of you and where we're tempted to chase after things that don't really matter remind us of what does matter remind us of what's truly important in our lives 
Remind us the things that will last for eternity. And then, Father, we ask, individually here as believers, as a church family, collectively, help us not depend solely on our power. Help us this morning to depend on your power. Father, do what only you can do. Let us not be content with what we can accomplish, but let us desperately desire to see done in this place and in this community what can only be described as a work of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.